should go right to fucking jail. That man is a slime. He is a slime. Something really wrong is going on. Mr. you are out of order. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. They're out of order. It's on, just a show. It's a show. Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. You want to make a deal? You son of a bitch. You. You're supposed to stand for something. You're supposed to protect people. Hold it. I just completed my opening statement. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, consenting adults, welcome back to the second episode of the Single Dad Why You Mad podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So I'm Chris. I'm a single dad to three daughters, ages 18, 12, and 11. Yeah, and I'm David, and I'm a single dad to my one and only child. His name is Miles, who I had at the age of 50. He's three now. And I love him so much. I was about to say that goes without saying, but you know, if that went without saying, we wouldn't have a podcast, I guess. And just as a reminder, we define a single dad not as somebody who has kids who live separately from them and they pay their bills. We look as a single dad at a single dad as somebody who contributes to the growth and development of their kids, not just financially, but spiritually, emotionally, and, and physically. Spending time with them kids. Absolutely. And one of the things I like that you said, doing business with your kids. You know, if somebody does business with their kids, I'm going to coin that phrase and I'm going to use it regularly. If you do business with your kid, you see your kids not just on the weekend and then you go pick them up and you drop them off at your mother's or your sister's, but you actually spend time with your kids and you're involved with raising those kids. We consider you to be a single parent also simply because of the fact that you're not with the mother or the other parent. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and I wish I could take credit for that, but that is absolutely an old school West Indian saying, like, I don't business with that, I, like, or I don't bother with that, or I business with it as in it's a point of concern for me, and it's something that, that's important to me. And, and as another reminder, we don't claim to be child-rearing, dating, relationship, co-parenting, baby mama experts. Speaking for myself, I'm exactly the opposite. Uh, <laughs> I'm learning on the job, even though I grew up with a bunch of nieces and nephews. You know, I'm just sharing my experiences and reflecting on it. If anything, like you said, I'm the opposite. Very often in business, and especially in parenting, you know, people ask me for advice, and a lot of times I tell them, look at the stuff that you've seen me do do the complete opposite you'll be fine exactly so we do an episode about every two weeks chris and uh it's been two weeks since we recorded our last episode what's been going on with you son yo this week uh, well the past two weeks they've been hellacious just very very busy two weeks you know it's been me doing a lot of client meetings doing stuff for work going out networking meetings um so like my line of business when i applied for the job i remember somebody telling me this is not a job it's a lifestyle and and they absolutely helped me to that so i've been running around like a madman with that you know doing client events networking events i had a one day turnaround trip to new york that put me back here in connecticut at 1 30 a.m and then i had a bunch of volunteering stuff going on and that's in between doing daddy stuff every morning i'm there to drop my youngest daughter off to school the bus stop is at the end of my street so i'm always there to uh make sure that i put her on the bus you know i get the ping from my my eldest daughter who's like hey um i gotta stay after school so i'm the one who has to pick her up 
And if she has events, like she has, she's had a lot of stuff, a lot of plays that she's involved with. So she'll end up crashing at my place, even on nights where I don't necessarily have her. And my middle kid, even though her school is about three blocks away from the house, will absolutely call me and be like, hey, can you pick me up? Nah, son, walk it. But most interestingly of all, I had a, a situation that directly ties into today's topic. I'm not going to dive into it right now. I'm going to hold off and I'm going to share why I'm mad this week. Okay. So me, my boy is younger than your kid, right? My boy is three. What's your, how old is your, your youngest? My youngest is 11. God bless you. So um, we're in the middle of potty training, right? And I don't want to over reward him, but I want to reward him, right? So yeah. the people at the daycare, um, this woman, she is wonderful, right? And she has been on me for at least a month to bring him underwear. Yep. And if I bring underwear and he, you know, pees or stinks in his underwear, he won't like it. If he's peeing or stinking in the diaper, he has no motivation to go to the toilet because it absorbs the moisture. But if he goes in the underwear, then, you know, he's more motivated to go to the toilet, Right. Right, right. So finally, you know, about two weeks ago, I broke down and we went to the store and I bought him some underwear, Thomas the Train underwear. They got trains all over him, right? Yep. And I'm getting him dressed one morning. I put the underwear on him. We walk out the door. I forgot something, so I had to come back. And he says to me, oops. And I said, oops, what? And he <laughs> said, <laughs> and he had peed on himself. Oh, so now I had to stop whatever it is I'm doing, change him, which took 15 minutes, right? To change yep. his, you know, his underwear, his socks and his pants and then put new underwear on him only to take him over to daycare for her to say, no, that's not the way you do it. You bring him here with the pull-ups on. We will take the pull-ups off and put the underwears on him and then practice taking them back and forth to the bathroom. Now you tell me. And right. believe it or not, that's actually been working very well. Mm. Whenever I pick him up, I ask him, did you make stink in the toilet today? Yes. Did you make pee in the toilet today? Yes. And he tells me. But the problem is, is that I rewarded him once after I did that, right? Yeah. And I took him to the store and I got him a new Thomas to train, which he loves so much. And now, every time I turn around, he's telling me that he wants, you know, to go back to the store to get something else. And I'm trying to work our way out of that because I don't really want to get into whenever you do something right somebody gives you something. Be doing the right thing because it's the right thing. And then if you get something, that's great. You know, or, or part of it is the, the idea of small rewards. Like a lot of people I know when they were going through the potty training process and bear with me because it's been a while from, from, from mine, um, which is also probably another reason why I will not get remarried or I'm not looking to have any more kids. You made that decision already? You know what? Like I haven't gone and got the vasectomy, so it's not totally off the table. Exactly, exactly. Then you know it's off the table. Go but I'm like, I like the way I describe it to to people is it's like escaping the matrix and then deciding to plug back in. You know, so I like I, I have friends who have, who have done it where they you know they they have a kid or they have a family, they go through a divorce and then they get remarried and will have a whole other set of kids. Which you know I love kids. If I'd stayed married, I probably would have had like six or seven kids, something crazy. And you know? plus, if you get with a woman who after your divorce who doesn't have kids and you really care for her, how are you going to tell her that you ain't going to give her no kids simply because you went and had kids already? See, that's why you got to pick carefully. You deal with somebody who's like either doesn't want kids or has kids already and they're like, yo, I'm all set too. Navigating that divide between dating people who have kids and people who don't because it's a completely different world between the two. Um, so, but, so, but are you really following your heart though? If you say to yourself, I guess you are following your heart. Yeah, I'm absolutely following my heart. <laughs> 
You know, but to your point about rewarding him, we used to do something small like Eminem. So the other thing that I've been going through that you're familiar with this past week and, you know, for some time now is that uh, I'm in the middle of court. You know, by that, I mean that I have petitioned the court to be named the residential parent, which would mean that my son resides with me the majority of the time. Mm-hmm. And the schedule I've asked for, you know, is that on any day where he needs to be in daycare, which is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday morning, that he's with me the night before. And then uh, Friday evening, you know, he would go with his mom. And then she's, you know, petitioned the court for her own schedule that she prefers. And that's something that we've been going through since November or December of last year. And we just rested our cases this past Thursday we were in court. Um, She has a lawyer and I'm representing myself. And um, yeah, we just rested our cases. So we're going to summarize in about two weeks and then we should get a decision after that. But that's also something that, you know, I've been dealing with pretty much. That's heavy. And uh, I think that's a good transition to our subject today. The courts, how and when do you end up in court with your co-parent? And we're going to talk a little bit about our our experiences because up to this point, our experiences have been pretty different, right? Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So I'm not sure I know all of your experience. I mean, but as as a divorced person, obviously you uh, had to do something with the court to get to where you are now. And it's just been my experience in talking to my, my friends and my people that not everybody goes to court. But before we do that, right, um, I pulled this article, or yeah, I'm going to call it an article. It's a paper that was written called Comparing Race and Sex Discrimination in Custody Cases. And at some point, I'll post it to the website, but it was written by a Catherine T. Barlett. And there's a couple of things that jumped out at me as I was reading through this, and I'm just going to read really quickly, probably four or five paragraphs, and then we can get back, you know, to the subject at hand. So uh, Justice Brennan, back in 1973, in a failing effort by four justices of the United States Supreme Court to obtain suspect classification status for sex, made the case for treating sex like race by stating that sex, like race, is an immutable characteristic determined solely by the accident of birth, which frequently bears no relation to the ability to perform or contribute to society. And then he also argued that it is the addition of race discrimination to sex discrimination does not merely make it worse, but changes the nature of the discrimination. You know, I've got some feelings about this in my experiences with the courts right now, which is uh, why this article grabbed my attention. So essentially they're saying that, you know, from a court standpoint, they shouldn't be looking at, at race or sex because it doesn't affect your ability to contribute to society. But they're also saying it does invariably enter into decisions. As it appears that it has on many cases. Yeah. It has, yeah. Um, so here's a case. Palmore versus Sedati. Right. A custody in case involving a white couple, Linda and Anthony, and their three-year-old daughter, Melanie. Linda was awarded custody of Melanie. When was this? This was in 1984. So let's just be clear about when this happened, right? So a lot of these cases were in the 80s, correct? Yes, yes. Linda was awarded custody of Melanie after the couple's divorce. A year later, when Linda began cohabitating with, they call it a Negro. In 1984, they were still using the word Negro. Are you surprised? A year later, when Linda was (laughs) cohabitating with a Negro, Clarence Palmore Jr., whom she married two months later, the biological father, Anthony, sought custody of him. 
the trial court granted the father modification motion, reasoning that despite the strides that had been made in bettering relations between the races in this country, it is inevitable that Melanie will, if allowed to remain in her present situation and attain school age and thus more vulnerable to peer pressures, suffer from the social stigmatization that is sure to come. Basically, they saying, if she living with her mama and her mama's black new black husband, then people are going to tease her. And it's not fair to her that she be teased, so she should go with her white dad. Um, yeah. I think that's more of a commentary on society, or the, not even just society, but the, the, the judge's expectation of society and what's necessarily shameful versus the reality. You know, and granted, I realize this is 1983 versus you know, 2019, where... Yes, we've come a long way. Hell yeah, we got a lot of road to cover, but damn, <laughs> that, 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 that actually entered into a court decision. So the Supreme Court, this case um, was sent up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court took a hard line in this case, holding that it is impermissible for a court to give effect to private racial prejudice in custody cases at any time and under any circumstances. The court insists that whatever problems racially mixed households may pose for children in 1984, the state cannot give them effect. In taking this position, the court did not deny that children may suffer as a result of ignoring race. Rather, it included almost categorically that the harm of considering race in custody case is greater than the possible gains. Race must be ignored to serve a greater good than the possible welfare of individual children. I would agree, man. Like, and you're, you're also talking to a dude who has produced biracial children. If, if they said that to me, like, I, would, I, I don't know how I would handle that because I, I look at it and my kids look black. They're actually what I call Puerto Lithotrasian. So they're Puerto Rican, Lithuanian, Trinidadian, and Barbados. They, they're a whole hodgepodge of stuff. <laughs> and, but they'll, you know, they'll get it where it's like, oh, are you black? Because some people, especially people who don't have a lot of exposure to black people, have a very clear idea in their head as to what a black person looks like. And then for the courts to carry that kind of sentiment into real world application, it's kind of fucking crazy. I, I just thank God that the higher court, the Supreme Court, got it right. But the state court obviously fucked that one up. So they go on to say, no case so clearly prohibits consideration of sex in custody cases. It should be noted, however, that there was a potential gender issue in this same case that received no attention from the Supreme Court. It appears that Linda began cohabitating with her Negro boyfriend before they were married. According to the trial court, the mothers seeing fit to bring a man into her home and carrying on a sexual relationship with him without being married to him, again, this is in 1984, right? It was a different time then. Show that one, she tended to place gratification of her own desires ahead of her concern of her children's future welfare. Nothing, nothing um, more seems to have been made of this factor, either by the trial court or in review. But some have noticed since that mothers who have cohabitated outside of marriage tend to be penalized in ways fathers who cohabitate outside marriage are not and have concluded that differential treatment constitutes sex discrimination. So it ain't just going one way. This sort of sex discrimination, this sort of uh, race discrimination or whatever else you want it is, is against both. It has so much to do with how a judge feels personally about any one issue while he's sitting up at the bench versus what the law is and what's right. It is subjective as fuck. It is absolutely subjective. You know, in the case of, of a mother who moves in a boyfriend or has a live-in boyfriend, it doesn't matter the nature of that relationship. It's, oh, look at this horny broad bringing somebody in the house so she has a constant supply of sex. If a dad has a woman in the house, it's, oh, look at that dedicated father trying to find a new mommy for his children. Listen to this. In these cases, courts seem to expect fathers to work outside the home and respect them for their employment successes. In contrast, mothers, although 
Um, they also usually work outside the home. They're expected to make compromises in their careers for their children and are penalized when they do not. One South Carolina appellate court, for example, affirmed an award of custody to the father, who was an oil man, based in part on analysis of how much time the mother, who was an obstetrician, would have to be away from the home and what caretaker arrangements she would have for the child. No such analysis about caretaking was done for the father's work schedule, which, you know, was mentioned in the opinion. The Ohio appellate court upheld a custody award to the father, even though the mother had been the primary caretaker for all four years of the couple's children for 17 years, because during the last two years before the divorce, she worked part-time, attended school, and was away from the home for a large amounts of time, which the child court characterized as selfish. What kind of bullshit is that? How's she going to feed them? Especially if she's divorced. Yeah. How is she going to feed them? So they were, they were obviously married for at least 17 years or whatever. So there might be some alimony component. There might be some uh -huh. child support component, depending on the age of the children. So she's supposed to sit at home and wait for that money to come. I mean, and the reality is, who's to say that he has that kind of income? Now, working oil, it's quite possible that he could have supported her. He could have had the kind of job that allowed him to keep her independently supported and she'd be at home. But still, why should she be robbed of the right to individual determination and the right to the gratification that comes from having a career. The author speaks to that. It <laughs> says, what we can observe in the sex cases is that discrimination serves to reinforce conventional roles, to keep mothers in her place as sexually faithful, totally dedicated to her children and family, and to keep fathers in his place as primary provider, which we and I, you know, we talk about all the time. Like I said, or as we stated, as we, you know, you started going through the article, I am praying to God that eyes have opened wider and that precedent has been set to keep this kind of bullshit from happening to people when they go into court. I pray uh, and I it, hope, you know, I know it's not the case all the time because like I, you know, like I said earlier, the, you know, the idea that there was a lot of subjectivity in decisions and sentencing. So evidence is circumstantial, but rather impressive. Women obtain custody in 80 to 90% of cases. Now, why is that? Obviously, there have been numerous occasions or numerous times or just a matter of tradition where the woman is the primary caretaker of the kid. And why change that? Why, why not do that? Why, why make that different? But all of this, for me, just really brings me back to what's going on with me and where I am in the courts right now and my experiences in the courts. And I would love to hear about yours before I go on a rant about mine. Well, you know, it's funny because as we were plotting out this episode and you, you know, you and I talk offline and we're like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to talk about, I'm like, I don't think I have much to say because like, I didn't spend very much time in the courts. I guess starting from the beginning of, of my scenario, my ex-wife and I split in September of 2009. She was like, we should separate and that you know, we sat down, we had a bit of a conversation. And then I want to say in maybe the next few weeks, I was like, yo, we got to tell the kids. And we sat down, we told the kids that we were separating and the two little ones were too little to understand. They were just like, oh, can we go outside and play? <laughs> and, you know, the older one who was about eight, almost nine, you know, burst into tears and, you know, she was really upset. You know, shortly after that, I moved out for a few months and then moved back into the house and we shared the house while we were, we were going through the separation and our divorce for about a year and a half. Was there a chance to rekindle then? I tried. She was absolutely done. We, we went through, you know, counseling, went through therapy. Therapy is only helpful and functional if two people are involved in the situation because in her mind, I had not been trying up until that point. So she was done trying. And I started alluding to something in the last episode where I was talking about the surprise factor and how most breakups are initiated by women in terms of divorce. I want to say the stat was like 70 some odd percent. 
And what happens is most men, it's they're caught off guard. They go, oh my God, like I, I thought, you know, things were fine. Or I thought, you know, we were just going through normal ups and downs. Because if you look at the way men are taught about marriage, we're taught that there is a level of misery that goes along with being married or coupling. So you look at, you know, every married dude on every TV show that you've watched growing up, even if he's the most respected dude in the neighborhood or, or his kids have respect for him, or even his wife has respect for him, he's struggling at work or he's putting in hard hours at work and he's working hard. You know, he's having to negotiate, plead and ask for sex. He's the butt of the family's jokes. You know, like that's what we're taught, you know, so men foresee that as just our existence. And so when there's a breakdown and the, and the word divorce or the word separation is thrown out, a lot of dudes are caught by surprise. Generally, for the woman in that scenario, she has been contemplating walking out the door for six months, for a year. She's been dissatisfied in some way. So in our case, like my ex-wife you know, will tell anybody who asked her, I struggled with leaving Chris for two years, which is crazy to me because we were only legally married until the separation for four years. Say that again. Before the separation, we were married for four years. So we got married in 2005. We separated in 2009. The divorce wasn't final until 2012. It took longer to get the divorce than y'all were married. Almost as much time. And so we separated. We were living in the same house. And we hadn't even filed because like the first eight months was me sitting in the house going, how the fuck did I get here? You're working, dealing with her, trying to sort her life out and trying to negotiate and win her back. And then we got to a point where eight months into our separation, I was just like, yo, I can't take this abuse no more. Like she was really on some like, fuck you shit for a good portion of it. And I was like, yo, as bad as you make me out to be, I'm not that bad and I don't deserve it. And I think it was at that point that I went on my first date, which was a complete and utter disaster. You went on a date while you were living in the house with your ex-wife or oh, with she, your- she, she was already dating. We had the conversation about separating and she was on the phone with dudes like the end of that week. So she was done, done. But we, we shared the house or whatever. I went on my first date. I shared the house. That means what? So you lived in the basement and she lived upstairs? What? Uh, no, no. I, I, I slept in my bedroom and she moved down to the couch. And, but we hadn't gone- to lawyers, we hadn't filed anything. And then finally, almost a year of us being separated, I was like, yo, I'm not continuing in limbo like this. So I went and I spoke to a mediator and I told her our case and she was like, give your ex-wife my card, let her call me on our own volition so we can get the process started. Because initially my ex-wife was like, oh, we're smart people, we can just do this on our own. She was like, you know, I got documents from, you know, I printed out the documents so we could just fill out the documents and file for a divorce. I was like, that works for people who don't have have kids and don't have shit. We don't have a ton of property, but we have property and we have three children. I'm not doing this, you know, between the two of us and then having you coming back and going, I'm dissatisfied with what we came up with. Or me realizing because of how I feel about you, I'm giving you way too much and I'm stuck. I'm like, we're going to go to a mediator because I think we have our kids' best interests at heart. We can sit down together and we can come up with a resolution. And she initially thought it was me you know, using going to court as a scare tactic and a stall tactic. And I was like, no, like I, I know enough to know that I don't know enough. So 
I gave her the mediator's card and then we started working through a mediator. And then we had like a bunch of stuff, you know, kind of blow up for our family during that period where we had to push off, you know, proceeding with the divorce. In particular, I got hospitalized for a week. I got out of the hospital. Then the next month she got hospitalized for a week. And then a couple months later, we both went through layoffs. So we had to like pause things or whatever. But ultimately we sat down with a mediator and that mediator I think was amazing in the fact that it kept our costs down significantly. My all in cost for the lawyer's fees on my part was probably about three or four grand. Where people end up spending so much money is the emotionality that gets involved in these situations and the, in, the inflexibility. Emotionality and inflexibility leads to additional costs because like the first lawyer I went to see, he was like, yo, you know, she's fucking somebody, right? Like she, she's having an affair. Yeah, he wanted to get you up. He wanted to get your fur going. Oh, absolutely. I said, you know, I, I was like, I don't think she was having an affair, you know, while we were together. I said, you know, do I think people were, were putting stuff in her ear? Do I think people were showing her attention? Absolutely. Because I, I, I've said for years that it's a very rare woman who leaves a space that she's in without another space to land in. And that's applicable to dudes, a lot of dudes too. But, you know, I, I've, I've said that for very many years. Like, I remember when we were together, one of her friends was going through a divorce. She's like, oh, you know, she's leaving her husband. And I said, who's she fucking? And she got mad at me. She said, how dare you say that? Why would you say that about my friend? I said, because she does not have the kind of emotional independence that it would take for her to pick up and leave her husband if she was just dissatisfied with it. Somebody has to be providing her a sense of comfort and an assurance that she has someplace to go and somebody to have her back if she leaves him. And absolutely came out, she was, you know, messing with her boss. Yeah, but that's not the case for everybody, though. You're no, just saying, not. though, that's a, that's a case for a lot of people. It's a case for a lot of people. That's my point. So, so but, how did y'all actually end up, though, in the courtroom in front of a judge? Oh, so we ended up in the courtroom in front of a judge on the day that our divorce was final. That was so y'all never made it to the court before that? Never made it to the court before that. Anything that we disagreed on, anything that we were trying to hash out, we hashed out with a mediator. And the mediator said, okay, give me your financials, give me your financials. And at the time, based on the financials, I was making three times what my ex-wife was making because she just got her first job after you know being a stay-at-home mom for so many years. On paper, I had the kids more. I still had to pay into her. And it was a nominal amount. So the difficulty was the expectations and the emotionality. Because my ex-wife's expectation was, you're going to pay me alimony because she's hearing from all these other divorced women that they get alimony. And the reality was we weren't married long enough, even though we'd been together for almost 10 years, we weren't married long enough for her to warrant alimony. Well, what is that? In the state of Connecticut, I want to say you have to be married for five years. Right under the wire. Right. And child support. Like, so when she would get mad, that would be the argument. I'm taking you to cleaners and, you know, you're going to be paying me and you're going to be broke and blah, blah, blah. She would be angry. And her anger would cause her to but say- angry over what? If she wanted out of the relationship and she wanted to be done, she was done, done. Angry over what? That was my point. And, and, and it's funny because we'll have these arguments now sometimes. Still? Still. To this day, that's what I'm saying, like this week, the shit that popped up this week, this past Thursday, we got in an argument because she's like, you need to be paying me on time and you need to be paying me more. And 
There are people who get a lot more than me. And I'm like, you're holding into consideration guys who don't business with their kids. Like she had an ex-boyfriend who was like, oh, I don't understand why your, your ex-husband only pays you this much. You know, I pay more than that for one kid. But it's one kid that you have never met. Yeah, you can't compare the two. So right. you get in front of the judge that first time, right? And the judge, what? The mediator goes to court with you also? Or it's just yeah, you? Yeah, the, me- the mediator went to court with us because we came to an agreement before we walked in and saw the mediator. And the one thing that the mediator told us, she roped in a lot of the emotionality with practical, logical, and realistic situations. So like even the idea of my ex-wife going, oh, you're going to pay me this much. And the mediator's like, well, no, because he has to pay you something because he makes a lot more than you, but he physically has the kids more. He will physically have the kids more. So this is why you're getting what you get. And what about the house? And the house, that was another thing because my ex-wife was like, oh, you have to buy me out of the house. You have to buy me out of the house. You owe me money. And the mediator said, well, here's what you can do. Chris can move out and try and find a place that allows him to keep the girls in the school system or to be near the girls. She said, but whatever he's paying in rent is going to be significantly more than what you're paying in the mortgage right now. She goes, you can stay in the house, but based on your salary, you cannot afford to pay the mortgage. And then she said, on top of it, Chris cannot afford to pay your mortgage and to pay for him to find anywhere to live. So it probably makes sense for Chris to stay in the house versus you, and you can have a clean slate. By the time we were going through the divorce, she had already moved out and she was living with somebody. When you say living with somebody, you mean a, a boyfriend? Yeah. So, so okay. Uh, but, so but, I don't want to get it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I, we're going to circle back to that on a whole nother episode. The other thing you can do is you guys can sell the house. Yeah, so that's what I was like, going to say. What about selling the house? Right. So she's like, you can sell the house and you have to understand that there is no buying you out of the house because there is no equity in the home. In that's what I was going to ask you. When, 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 what, what year was this? We bought the house right before the financial crisis. So we bought uh-huh. the house in 2006. Max number. Right. By the time we went to sell the house, we were underwater. So, yeah. you know, arguably it would have been us selling the house and then having to split 50 grand to pay the bank off. So long story short, we worked all that out before we got in front of the judge. And I didn't pay child support for the first year because she was driving a car that was in my name and I had to pay the car off in lieu of child support. And then once the car was paid off, then I began paying her child support. God damn. So that's where we were. So we got into an argument this past week and she was like, wait, how many years later now? We've been divorced for seven years. And this agreement's been in effect for how long? Uh, The agreement's been in effect for seven years. So seven years later, y'all arguing about what? We're arguing about, in all fairness to her, my consistency with the child support. Meaning we've had periods where, you know, because I work in a sales job, and I work, you know, I have a base salary and I also have commissions, the commissions will be light sometimes. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll get you back. But because you still got to pay for the house, which the kids right. are living in. I still have to pay for the house. I still pay for the medical. And up until this point, I've paid for all the incidentals. Other than like, one of my daughters was taking gymnastics and her mother paid for gymnastics. Braces, I paid for that. I used to pay for all the school trips. Pretty much all the incidentals would, would fall on me. So when y'all carry this agreement to the judge, does the judge look at it and say, nah, this is bullshit, this ain't right? Or well, does the judge just say, oh, okay, if y'all agree, then good enough for me? Well, when we carried the agreement to the judge, the judge was like, okay, y'all agree? Is there any argument or any, any conflict or any dissension? We are both like, no. And then it's just cut and dry from a judge standpoint. The judge just read through the decree, read the, read the like, or the agreement, read the cliff notes, and was like, okay, bye, you're divorced now. Was the judge white, black, male, female? She was, she was a white judge, a white female judge. Did you feel any way about that? No, I didn't. I, I, I think because I looked at it at, the, at that point like, okay, you know, it's fair. 
it'll help take care of my girls, we're good. The less time you spend in the court, the less you invite the courts into your life, the better off you will be for it. So, but, but there's also other ways to go about it. Yeah, everybody can have their own attorneys, but you can also, like you did, go to a mediator or I wasn't married, but I'm representing myself in court. You don't necessarily have to do it that way, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. There are other ways to go about it. Like, you know, we, uh, oh. Russell Simmons and fucking, what's her name? And Kimora, and we, we can afford to do that. And I mean, that that's just sounds, you know, whatever. But speaking for me, right? So my first experience with the courts well, first of all, let me not even say my first experience with the court. My first experience with family court. Cause <laughs> Is that another episode? <laughs> yo, yo, I done stood tall in front of the man on many occasions, right? Bad boy, bad boy. And it has never gone well for me or them. Because <laughs> I have no problem telling them, you don't know what the fuck you talking about. I can read and write, and that's not what the shit says. It says this, and I expect you to go by this. So when we separated... We uh, were working on a parenting agreement. And in that parenting agreement, we were going to split the time down the middle. And then I was going to give her X number of dollars per month so that she could buy, you know, pampers, food, clothing, and stuff like that. And that was going to be based upon incomes. So I made X dollars which was twice more than she made, so that I would contribute twice as much as she did to his expenses. And her mother used to watch him at that time, right? But then in September of 2017, her mother couldn't watch him anymore during the day. And I wanted him in daycare because I wanted him to get social skills. If all he's around is me, you, your mother, and your sister, That's all he's going to know. And I wanted him to be able to be around other people and be able to socialize and not cry anytime somebody could. I had a friend who lives in the building, right? Come up to the apartment and was talking to me one time while, you know, my son was standing there. And this was like, you know, right around the time, you know, he might've been a year and a month, a year and two months. And I'm talking to my friend in the doorway and I feel my son bite me on the leg. And I look down, I'm like, did you just bite me? And yeah, he basically did not have to share me with anybody and wasn't interested in sharing me with anybody. You know what I'm saying? And I wanted to get him away from that. So I, you know, we wanted to do, I wanted to do daycare and I wanted to do whole week daycare, not this part-time daycare where he's only in there three days a week or whatever else it is when it's convenient. Now daycare ain't cheap, but I just happened to find one or, you know, that's about $300 a week. And these are good people too. They have about six to eight, sometimes 10 kids in there. Um, They've got two people that really care. They've been teaching him Spanish as well as English. And then like I just told you, you know, not too long about, about, you know, potty training. So they're really good people. But that's $1,200 a month. His health care is on my, uh, what you call it, which is another $200 a month. So for my kid to get out of the bed in the morning, it costs $1,500 a month. That's it just to get out of the bed. So I figured, okay, if these are our expenses, I'm going to give you X dollars toward that, right? But that wasn't working out as well as the schedule wasn't working out, right? So 1500 bucks a month. So, you know, the schedule wasn't working out because, you know, it would be, you know, I had him this day, you had him that way. No, I'd never 
had him that day. Why can't you just pick him up? Let's not swap days, whatever else it is. Swap last week. I swapped this week. I said, we, there needs to be a baseline. There needs to be a baseline. We're not agreeing on this thing. It's all over the place. Even though I got the Google calendar, there needs to be a baseline. And then there were some other things that I was concerned about. So I filed a petition to be named the custodial parent. And by custodial, I mean that his place of residence is with me and that he lives with me the majority of the time. But as far as legal decisions, we would both be involved in that. Like, you know, if you're, if you don't have legal custody, you can't just up and take your kids outside the country and say, well, I'm just going to Mexico for a vacation. No, you need a notarized letter before they will allow you on that plane from uh, the other biological parent. And you need a picture of their driver's license or whatever else it is attached to that so that they can confirm and verify that. And then if you forge that, well, then that's borderline kidnapping and you're on your own. So I went to court and I asked for that. And I felt problems on day one when I first went there. So day one, I go there. I'm going there to file a petition. And I go up to this officer, court officer, who happened to be white. And I asked him, what time does the information window open? And the first thing he says to me is, when were you served? So now I'm offended, right? What the fuck you mean, when was I served? Why do you naturally assume that I was served? How do you know that I'm not here to serve somebody? So he asked me that question, and I forget what my answer was because it was a year and something ago. But usually when people ask me questions like that, I tend to ignore them and ask them the question again. What time does the window open? Without answering whatever nonsense they asked me in the first. Then I get to the window, and there's a line, and you wait your turn. And you get up to the window and there's this um, small, petite, older black woman. And she says to me, how can I help you? And I said, I'm here to file a petition to get custody of my son. And she said, who does he live with? And I said, he lives with me. And she looked at me like, he lives with you? Yeah, he lives with me. Why is that so hard to understand? And she says, he lives with you. And I said, yeah, she says, well, you're going to need his birth certificate. I said, I have my son's birth certificate. She says, you have his birth certificate? Yeah, I have his birth certificate, yo. What is, why, why, what, what is, what is the, what is, so I fill out the papers, right? And yep. I hand it back to them and I'm explaining to them that, you know, this is not about legal custody. This is about thing. They fill out the paperwork. They give me the thing back. They tell me you have to have the person served. I get the, I have her served. And unfortunately, custody had not been resolved yet. But the custody cases take longer to resolve than the child support cases. Child support cases they can hear in one day because you just bring in documents and it's really just about math. Custody cases can go on for months. So when they called the child support case before they called the custody case, I said, okay, because this is going to be a waste of time because we're still splitting them, but I'll go anyway. So we both go, we get there. And I don't know if you've ever been in court, but when you come into court, the plaintiff is supposed to sit in one place the respondent is supposed to sit in another place. The seats are set up like that for a reason. Respondents here, petitioner here. They call our names, black um, female officer, court officer. We go in there and she sits me in one seat and she sits my son's mother in the other seat. She sat her in the petitioner's seat and sat me in the respondent's seat automatically. Black woman officer, right? The magistrate looks up and looks at the paperwork, looks up again, looks at the paperwork and says, oh, you're the petitioner, Mr. Crockett. She's the respondent. And he's like, oh, well, just stay where you are. There's no need to change seats now. And then my son's mother says, yeah, he's looking to get child support from me. And the female officer laughs out loud. 
Now, what kind of bullshit is that? What's funny about that? Why would that be funny? Why would the officer think that it's okay to laugh out loud? And why should I feel safe in a place like this? Why should I feel that justice is going to be done? And I get it, right? I get it. 90% of the guys that come in there, you know what I'm saying, probably ain't doing shit. Like you said, there are guys that come in there, they ain't never seen the kids. All they doing is cutting the check or the state is having to take a check. But why is that the natural assumption? And when you find out that that's not the, the assumption, why laugh out loud at that shit? What is funny about that shit, right? So I say to the judge, I'm not sure how you're supposed to decide this case right now because we're still in custody court. Custody court yeah. So I'm not sure how you, you're supposed to decide this thing, number one. Number two, we still split him. So if we're splitting him, I'm not sure what you would decide in the first place. Right. And he says, the judge, a white man says, well, how do I know that? I said, how do you know what? He says, how do I know that you're splitting him? So I didn't happen to have my Google calendars with me at that time to prove it. I said, why don't you ask her? <laughs> so he looks over at her and he says, well, is that true? And she says, yeah, we do split him. He has him 15 days out of the month and I have him 15 days out of the month. He said, oh, okay, well then I can't decide this case until the custody case has been decided. You guys will have to come back after that. So my point here is why did he, what, okay. When he said, how do I know that? Basically, he's saying, how do I know you're not lying? The right. natural assumption is that the kid is with the mother the majority of the time and the mom's is taken care of, right? That's right. just a natural assumption, you know, in every case. So we went to custody. The judge established a schedule where because I mostly have my kid on Wednesdays for swim and I've been doing that since he's been six months old, we're actually getting the pool with him, that I would have him Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays she would have him Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays, and we would alternate Mondays, except for legal holidays when she would have him on Mondays, right? right? So he basically kept the schedule as we had it, splitting it down the middle, except it's more consistent, where it's straight days, which is what I was looking for. And then he said, you two can decide if you want to, to change however off it is you want to change as you see fit. And that is what we had been doing up until this last time when you know we went back to court when she actually went back to court to file for a change to the schedule because she took a second job in the evening and one of those jobs i mean one of the days she has to work is on the weekend and you know she uh, feels like now she shouldn't have to uh keep him on the weekend so that it should be flipped where she has him on the weekdays and i have him on the weekends right. and that's where we are now in court going through that discussion i'm against it you know, she's for it. You know, we went back and forth. But, you know, one of the things that I definitely had to do was I stood up in court one day and told him about my experience coming into this building and told him how people treat, you know, people that look like me coming into this building. And I know that it does not help that I've got a big mouth. I know that I this judge... Dude, dude. Dude. I, first of all, her lawyer can't stand me. You know, I fucked up on something and he was laughing out loud and I let that motherfucker have it about what the fuck is funny in this goddamn room. I'm here fighting for my son. I don't know why you think it's funny. And the judge, I can't tell you how many times has said to me, Mr. Crockett, I am not going to uh, decide this case based upon race or anything like that. This is going to be based upon what's best for Miles. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to tell him that I don't buy that bullshit. By definition, bias. unconscious biases are unconscious to the biaser, by definition. One of the difficulties that, that people run into, not just judges who, are, who are, are hearing these cases, but the court staff 
you know, and, and the people who are helping you and guiding you and stewarding you through all this shit is the difficulty is if you see an awful lot of ain't shit motherfuckers, you assume everybody ain't shit. Dude, I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting there in the courtroom. So I have had to file petitions. I have had to refile my petition. I have had to go down there and get service papers. So I've spent a significant amount of this time in this court, you know, in this court building, right? And I can't tell you how many times, overwhelmingly, because I have met a couple of dudes who have been in there doing exactly what I'm doing. You know, I ran into one um, about two weeks ago and I said to him, hey, you single dad? And he said, yeah. I said, well, here, check out our podcast, Single Dad, Why You Mad? He said, yeah, but I ain't mad. I said, yeah, okay, but the, the mad is ambiguous for a reason, right? right. But anyway, um, and, and how many times I've been standing online and the dude in front of me is up there saying, yeah, they taking too much money out my check. I'm trying to get these payments lowered. Or the dude behind me is like, this is bullshit, man. This ain't nothing but the white man trying to get in your business, man. Or, or I can't tell you how many times I have heard that. Or I've been upstairs on the floor and somebody came out of trial and is turning to, 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 to the um, court officer saying, so how do I get to be, um, uh, uh, how do I get to have joint custody? How do I get to do that? Because I don't want them taking all that money out my check. Or, yeah, or, or the last time I was there, there was this brother sitting in front of me, right? And a lawyer came out and said to him, so she's going to go in there and say that she wants the kid to be with her because you don't come get him. So she's going for, you know, legal custody and you can come see him, you know, once a month on Sundays. And the dude was like, well, that's because, and the lawyer said to him, well, that's what you've been doing anyway. I only see one once a month anyway, right? So what difference does it make? And the dude was like, well, that's what, people, so these dudes that do go there, that do show up, first of all, they don't know how to speak for themselves. And, and I think, and yeah, yeah. And I think that that's the problem is that these, a, a lot of people are afraid to go to court. You Dude. think the game, the game is already rigged. Why even get on the court and play? Right. Why I even get on the court and play? Cause the game is already fucking rigged. The well, ref's already, the ref is already against me. Why? Right. I'm not going to get no calls. Ain't no calls going my way. A lot of dudes don't know their rights. And so they back away from a situation because they don't believe they can win. But I think it goes a step further than that. And I don't want to say too much because I'm going to use it for, you know, take out the trash or this is why I'm mad. As a matter of fact, I'm not doing a take out the trash today. I'm doing a this is why I'm mad. Yo, so or maybe I, I am doing a take out the trash. I don't even know. So I'm going to go first or you're going to go yeah, first? Yeah, you're going to go first because I want to hear this. So before we even do that, right, a guy who follows us on Instagram, his name is Dries Van Eck. And he is from the Netherlands. Uh, he wanted to send in something that says, this is why I'm mad, right? right. And um, I appreciate this one a lot. And I'm pretty sure you've experienced it. And he says, you asked on Instagram, um, what gets me mad? My name is Dries. I'm 45. I live in the Netherlands. I got three kids, daughter 14, and twin boys 10 years old. Then he goes on a little bit about what was going on between him and the kid's mom, which I'm not going to get into. But he says, it's busy, 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 but fun job to be a single dad. I just wish that I could sleep in my own bed. Somehow, my boys always sneak into my bedroom. When I go to bed, there is no room for me in the bed. I can't really be mad. I just have to smile. I take my pillow and sleep on the couch again with the dog. Every day, I have to stretch my back, and the boys see me doing that, and they say, Dad, you're getting old. If they only knew, the reason he's stretching his back is because he ain't got no access to his bed. 
So that's shout why he's mad. Yo, shout out to Drys because I live that. All of my kids will climb in my bed. And it, and it doesn't even have to be at night. Like, I'll come home from work, and my room will be the hangout spot. So all three of them <laughs> will, will be laid out on my, on my bed. You know, I got a king in my room. All laid out on my bed, doing artwork, drawing together. You know, the teenager will be in there. Under so, my so there's no Sega Genesis. There's, no, there's nothing special about your room besides what? It's daddy's. That's it. Because the TV and the video game systems are downstairs in the living room. The computers are in the basement. So the only thing that makes it special is that it's my room. And you know, it's to the point, like, I'll come home and there's jeans, there's pants, everything is thrown all over the place. And at nighttime, don't let me decide I'm going to sit up and watch something on TV because by the time I move up the stairs to go to bed, the teenager is usually in her bed by that point, but the other two are in my bed sleeping. Okay, so um, that's why Drys is mad, but let me tell you why I'm mad, right? Well, let me tell you what, what's been getting under my skin. First of all, shout out to all them bitch-ass motherfuckers down there at the 60 Court Street or 60, 60 Lafayette Street um, family court building, you know, that uh, 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 made me feel like or tried to make me feel like shit because I go up in there and I'm trying to fucking get my kid and they don't think that I have access to his birth certificate and they're trying to, and, and, and that fucking, uh, and I'm going to call her a security guard, even though she's a court officer that laughed out loud to think that she, yo, the shit is across the board, man. They do not make it comfortable and I get it, right? I get it. There is a whole bunch of brothers in there that's not doing it right, right? Right. And that's what they see. I get what you see. But when somebody comes in here who is doing it right, laughter is not the first thing that should be happening. Fact. I'm sorry. Especially from another black woman. I just don't fucking get it. I do not get unless she happened to be going through the same thing with her baby daddy or her father wasn't around there for her, which is probably the case. So fuck her and fuck <laughs> the horse she rode in on. Yo, yo, it, it's wild. Okay, we understand that your predisposition and your assumption is I'm walking in here as a black man and generally the black men you see come through here. Let's, let's say you don't have the racial component. The dads you see come through here. Take the race dead. out of it. The dads, yes. Right. Take the race out the, of it. I'm not that dad. Don't treat me like that dad. Yo, exactly. I, I get why you're mad. And, and you know, it also puts a, a fear in me because I can absolutely Im see it in my head because I know what my ex-wife is, is plotting and planning and it could potentially be that situation for me. Dude, even with the judge, right? I'm not saying that he's a bad guy, but there are those internal biases that you are just unaware of. So here's an example. Since day one, I have been talking about being a custodial parent, having nothing to do with legal. It's at least in the record four times. It's at least in my petition two or three times. The judge even mentioned it himself in January at one of the hearings that this is what this is about. It's not about this, right? Right. So in one of the last hearings, not this last one we had, but the one before that, he says, listen, I'm strongly suggesting that you guys go out there and try to negotiate this thing, number one. Number two, um, not that I would make a decision before reading all the evidence and not that I would, um, but I have read all the evidence. I have read all the paperwork. I have read all the transcripts. And Mr. Crockett, I see no reason why I should give you legal custody. So I kept quiet, right? And I went out there and, and I went into the room with her and her lawyer and her lawyer starts talking. I said, first of all, hold the fuck on, right? 
you ain't the only one in this motherfucker that has a right to say something. He says, what are you talking about? He says, he says, you get to talking. I said, right here in this room, conference room right now, you ain't the first motherfucker to start talking. So then I said, I have tried to negotiate this with you and with her since day one. I don't give a fuck anymore. I don't give a fuck. And then she says, well, okay, but how do we get to, I said, I don't give a fuck. And I walked out and then we walked back into the courtroom and the judge asked, were you guys able to come to an agreement? Her lawyer says, no. He says, okay, let's continue. And I said, and he went off the record. The judge went off the record when he made that first statement. And then when we came back, I said, are we back on the record, Your Honor? And he says, yeah. I said, so one of the first things I'd like to be clear about is that I have never asked for legal custody that I have only asked to be named the parent of the custodial parent or the parent in residence. So then he looks at me and he says, well, what does that mean to you, Mr. Crockett? And I said, exactly what it means to everybody else, that um, I make no legal decisions without her, that he lives with me the majority of the time, that he's with me on any morning, that he has to be the school any night, but that he has to be the school. Now, why do I gotta keep saying this to this motherfucker over and over again, if, he's, if he read all the paperwork and he's paying attention? Why do I gotta repeat this shit to him for the seventh time? Cause he ain't paying he's attention. Paying attention. He's hearing what he wanna hear. He wanna he hear what he wanna, exactly. Yeah. So fuck him too. So that's why you met. That's why I'm at, well, no. But, that, but, but yeah. listen. I want to take out some trash. Too. No, I want to take out some trash too, right? Let me Go take ahead. out some trash, okay? Fuck all these out here that say that my baby mama won't let me see my kids. You don't have to stand around for that shit. Take her to court. Yeah. Go down to the fucking courtroom. You don't have to stand around and, and, and not do nothing about that shit and just take that shit on the fucking chin. You cannot stop somebody from seeing their kid even if they are not paying like they agreed to pay. You just can't. You cannot. It's against the fucking law. If the court has said that you can see your kid X number of days a week or X number of days a month, she can't stop you. You go back to the court. The only reason a motherfucker would not go to court is because he doesn't want to be held responsible for his part. I don't know if I would drag them for that because it goes back to the same shit we said earlier. A lot of dudes don't know because that's what they're programmed to believe. How else are you going to find out unless you go down there? And, and, and I'll, t- I'll tell you. You know how many people told me, they, I, dude, you know how many people told me in the gym when I said I was getting ready to go to court and fight for my kid? A bad mother beats a good father every time. I heard that shit a hundred no, times. I, I'm, I'm just not taking no for an answer. Tell them niggas no. I'm, I'm, tell, I'm telling you, even for me, as a college-educated dude with a master's degree, at that point, I didn't know. But I was like, I'll be damned if I'm not going to do some research. But I was surprised to find out. And, and the difficulty is, especially with divorce situations, like most situations, word of mouth is a motherfucker, right? So you have people on both sides of the fence, men and women. And then the difficulty is even going to see lawyers. There are a lot of lawyers who will tell you you're entitled to certain shit so that you start off on the far end of the spectrum and you asking for shit you're not entitled to, which further fuels the fire. All I'm saying is try. That's all I'm saying. Right. The excuse that my baby mama or my son's mother or whoever else it is will not let me see my kids does not fly with me. It just simply just does not fly with me. I agree with you on that. I would say for any dude who's out there listening, do your homework. If you can go on Instagram and check out Instagram models and everything, you can search and do your homework. You are a father and you have rights. Dude, if you're doing the right thing from the beginning, if you're doing the right thing and you're doing business with your kids from the beginning, before you and 
your co-parent even separate. You have a case to build upon. But if you're not doing the right thing from the beginning, then I can see why people stay away from this thing. Anyway, we, we, we got to keep moving we because keep we, moving. We're, yeah, we're, running, we're running real long. Do you want to take out some trash or do you want to pat somebody on the back or do you want to tell us why you're mad? You know what? I ain't even mad. I'm just like, yo, my situation is my situation. We'll work through it. If it comes to us having to sit in front of a judge, I think it works out favorably for me, but that's me looking from my lens and my perspective. Very quickly, all these celebrity ass parents who are paying to get their kids into college, <laughs> fuck y'all. Because I'm looking at parents who fill out a form because of zoning regulations and get found out and they're doing jail time. Fuck the judge who put them behind bars and fuck these people who are paying and manipulating the system, getting their kids scholarships they didn't earn and will probably face no prison time and get a slap on the wrist. Fuck that. That's who I'm dragging today. Real quick, yo, we mentioned this person during our first podcast. Quick pat on the back to my sister Mia, aka Audacious Purpose on Instagram. She is an amazing single mom. The only person I've ever lost a one-on-one -on -one fight to, facts. And she's a soccer mom, PTA mom, hustle, bust her ass to support her kids, to be an anchor and support system to our entire family. You know, she's also a life coach. So if you need some direction, you need somebody to help you find your purpose, check her out, Audacious Purpose, on Instagram. My BFF. All right, that's all for us today? I, I, I think that's all for us today. You know, so we're going to see you in two weeks. But until then, I want to invite everybody to follow us on Instagram at Single Dad Why You Mad. Check out our website, www.singledadwhyyoumad.com. Subscribe, comment, rate us, review us on iTunes. We're also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and all the other podcast formats. Let me just say that that single dad why you mad is spelled out. So it's single dad why, W-H-Y, you mad. So any closing comments? Anything you want to say, David? I'm good. I think uh, 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 I'm, I'm good for today. Thank you very much for letting me get it off my chest. So I want you to get up now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell... I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore!